Good morning, friends. It's so nice to see all these kind faces out there this morning. Would you like to stand with us? And we will get started with our worship.
morning, church. Amen. Bless you, God.
pray. Jesus, it's that mighty name, that powerful name we sing today because we know that there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. That that name, your word tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's our heartbeat to begin that glorious confession here on earth and will one day resound in heaven with the praises of all those who you've called. We gather together around the throne and lift high that glorious name of Jesus. Father, I pray today that you would center our hearts and minds upon Jesus. There are so many, so many things that we can be preoccupied with, and I, I have to imagine that if we're like most Americans right now, our, our minds uh, are being, our minds and hearts are being pulled in all kinds of different places. And so as we come here to worship this morning, God, help, help our, our hearts and minds to settle in and be fixed upon Jesus Christ. As we hear what your word has to say, God, I pray that as we study the scriptures that, that we would fall more in love with Jesus, that we would know him more and desire to make him known. Teach us this morning and stir our hearts toward repentance, toward joy, towards Christ. Father, we're so thankful continue to do so today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're glad you're here, and we're, I just want to extend a special welcome with you as you've joined us for worship today, and we pray that uh, God has already begun to encourage your hearts and to challenge you today, and we, we uh, trust that he will continue to do so as we open up the scriptures together. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as you find your place there in the second chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, um, I just want to uh, make a couple of uh, brief um, reminders. First of all, uh, every Tuesday morning, if you're available, we are back in Route 28 at 9 a.m. every Tuesday morning uh, for a time of prayer. We'd love to have you join us if you're, if you're available. If you're not at work and don't have other things going on, we'd love for you to, to join us in prayer uh, especially during this difficult time or this um, unique and challenging time as a country. Um, we have a lot to pray for about how we can live out our faith in these days. And then secondly, I just want to mention that um, our congregational meeting is tonight. And uh, this is just a time for us to kind of fill you in a little bit on what's happening in each of our areas of ministry and to share a little bit about what's coming up. So we hope that you could, you could join us 5 o'clock this evening right here in the sanctuary. The title of today's message is A Conflict of Visions, and the Apostle Paul is going to, in these verses, share several conflicting viewpoints uh, between believers and unbelievers, but as we, as we prepare to go there, I just want to give you a re brief review of the context. Uh, Paul is in the midst of a section talking about church conflict 
and about the divisions that were separating the believers in Corinth. And at the root of those divisions was a spirit of pride. They were lining up behind their favorite teachers, as we saw at the beginning of chapter 1. They were developing factions based upon their choices of who their favorite expositor was. And Paul spends the rest of chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2 that we looked at last week turning their eyes away from man and turning them toward the cross of Jesus Christ. His whole point in doing so was to crush their pride and to really help them get a hold of the statement that he closes chapter 1 with, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. One of the ways in which Paul has been dismantling their pride is by pointing out the folly of human wisdom. He said in chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And again in verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. So now as we turn to chapter 2, verse 6, we could get the impression, the false impression, that there was, there's no place for wisdom in the Christian faith. Paul has been kind of negative toward wisdom thus far, human wisdom, worldly wisdom. And lest we get the assum- make the assumption that there's no place for wisdom as we walk with God, Paul here wants to demonstrate why that's simply not true, and he's going to do so by presenting a series of contrasts. You know, we live in a world right now where uh, there's so many uh, opposing viewpoints. Maybe it's something as, as simple as uh, foods, that your, your favorite foods and things that are extremely liked and disliked. Maybe it's uh, other uh, slightly up the importance scale. Maybe it's a sports rivalry and you've got two, uh, two schools or two teams that are just like just bitter, bitter rivals. And you know that when, when those two baseball teams play each other, there's going to be some, some pitches thrown up and in a bit and, and there's, those rivalries are going to be stoked further. And then, of course, in the political world, we, we see ideologies that are so separated by completely different ways of looking at things. Well, the Apostle Paul here in these verses is going to show us three different contrasts uh, uh, from this text about God's way and the world's way. Uh, I, I, I gleaned these, uh, these points, these outline, uh, the points of my outline from uh, a book by Don Carson. I just really liked the way he laid it out and it made sense to me. And so as we read these verses, uh, we're going to read them first and then look at some of these, these three contrasts. Uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. He says, Yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The first contrast I want to point out today is the contrast between those who receive God's word and those who do not. Those who receive God's word and those who do not. He says in verse 6, that among the, the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of the age who are doomed to pass away. So Paul says, I, I've said a lot of negative things about wisdom, but I want you to know we do impart wisdom, but it's a different wisdom than what the world's looking for. He uses the word mature, probably uh, most likely to refer to Christians as opposed to unbelievers, not, not some sort of high-level Christian, but as, as those who are spiritually enlightened. Versus those who are not, which he's going to talk about more in a minute. He also mentions the rulers of the age in verse 6. Some theologians think that it's uh, earthly rulers. Other theologians think that maybe it's um, demonic rulers. That word can refer to those in the spiritual realm. But most likely it's, it's those who, uh, in general, set the pace for the standards and values in a culture. They may be people with actual positions of authority, but they may just be, be those uh, who have influence over culture. And he says, listen, this wisdom supersedes anything that they are going to share. He shares a couple qualities of this mystery. First of all, he says that, or this, this wisdom, first of all, he says it's a mystery. This wisdom was a mystery. It wasn't previously understood. Um, I don't know about you, but I enjoy a good, uh, a good mystery novel. I, if it's well-written and the story's good, it can kind of draw you in, especially one that's really well-written that keeps you guessing all the way up to the end. You have no clue, and it kind of just drops it on you at the end. That's it, a great mystery. The Bible says that this, there was a mystery that was hidden in the, in the Old Testament, that prophets uh, understood little bits and pieces, but it was not fully revealed until the time of Christ. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 16 when he says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. This was the mystery of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the Messiah, the one who would come, the suffering servant. They were under, these things were understood in parts, in, 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 in shadows, with veils, and in incomplete pictures in the Old Testament. But it was fully revealed in Christ, and then as Paul began to explain the mystery to the church, uh, this wisdom from God, it was, it was mis uh, mysterious. It was not previously known. One writer says this message is it's a hidden mystery because it can be known only through God's revelation. It's now an open secret, open because God has revealed it, and a secret because the revelation both reveals the mystery and obscures it at the same time. And so for the unbeliever, this mystery still remains a mystery. But for those who have the mind of Christ, those whose eyes have been opened, this mystery has been revealed and they've been enlightened. The other aspect of this, this wisdom from God is that it was part of God's eternal plan. Just because it was a mystery, which had been uh, up until... Uh, when Paul wrote, up until recently, it had been a mystery and was now disclosed. Paul wanted to make sure the Corinthians didn't somehow think that this was a new idea on God's part, that he had just come up with this on his own, that in his wisdom in ages past, he had long prepared this plan of redemption. The great heroes of the Old Testament had, in faith, anticipated the unveiling. 
of this great mystery. And so there is a difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world, those who receive God's word and those who do not. Those who receive God's word understand that his wisdom uh, is for life. It's, it goes beyond what the world has to offer. But those whose eyes are veiled, those who eyes, whose eyes have been unopened, they're going to reject the wisdom of God. And I don't know about you, but each and every day the Bible tells us, and I believe this, that we need God's wisdom. It has been ultimately revealed through Jesus Christ, but each and every day we need God's insight, God's wisdom into our daily life decisions. Um, wisdom, I, I love how Tim Keller defined it. He said, wisdom is a matter of understanding what is right beyond the rules. Understanding what is right beyond the rules. Some of us like a black and white answer. Some of us like clear guidelines, but so often in life, there's not a Bible verse that will tell us exactly what to do, exactly how to get along with this person or to, how to make this particular decision uh, with our money or with our time. And so the Bible wants us to be able to, uh, God wants us to be able to have wisdom, the, the understanding to know what to do in a particular moment when the rules don't define it for us. Uh, wisdom is insight for living life. And James tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, we need to ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. He promises it will be given to us. He says, let us ask in faith, not with, uh, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. But you this morning, are you seeking the wisdom of God? You know, sometimes our hearts, even for a Christian, we can be so influenced and shaped by the world that at times we come to Scripture. I don't know if you've ever done this as a Christian. Maybe you've read a passage a, a hundred times, and you come to it, and it deeply offends you. Maybe, especially the words of Jesus, you come to it, and you're like, easy, Jesus, come on. And then you're like, wait a minute, I've believed this for years and years. Why does this still offend me? It's because our, our hearts need to be constantly um, renewed with the Word of God, with the wisdom of God. See, it doesn't... It doesn't take much, it doesn't take long for us to buy into a worldly value. Watching a few movies, listening to the news a bit, hanging out with the certain types of people. And, and if we're not constantly having our mind renewed by the word of God, all of a sudden, if a time goes by, we can come back to the scriptures and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, Jesus will do that to us. We have to constantly have our mind renewed by the wisdom of God. It's at contrast with the world. There are those who receive God's word, who listen to God's wisdom, and there are those who do not. The second contrast that he makes in this passage is between the spirit of God and the spirit of, world, of the world. If you look at partway through verse 10, he says, For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might freely understand the things given to us by God. B before we dive into that, I just want to back up. I didn't put it in my notes, but I, I just want to make mention of verse 9 real briefly. This is a verse that we often will quote. I have done it. Often quote in, in reference to the unseen realities and riches of heaven. Have you ever used verse 9? As it's written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, 
nor entered, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's a, it's a quote out of the Old Testament. But if, if, you, if you look at verse 10, you realize that if we use the verse for, for that, we're actually kind of taking it out of context there. The context is, and, and certainly it, it is true to say that there are amazing things awaiting in heaven that we don't understand and we can't imagine. But this verse is actually talking about something completely different. It's not talking about heaven. It's actually talking about spiritual realities that we couldn't figure out apart from God. Because look at the next verse. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. God's Spirit has been given to us to open up our eyes to spiritual realities that otherwise our minds would remain shut to. So I just wanted to kind of point that out. That it, is a, it is a wonderful verse, and I've used it many times to refer to heaven, but that's actually not the context in which Paul is quoting it here. He's, he's talking about the things of God that, that we're not going to receive apart from the Spirit of God opening up our eyes. But the second contrast, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world, it's, it's, it's um, have, you ever, have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody and they just look at you like you're completely uh, out of your mind? <laughs> it's like, you know, there are times when our, our kids will be struggling with their math homework, and especially our high school. I mean, high schoolers, trigonometry, calculus, I didn't, I didn't take those things. I, 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 I wouldn't have done well if I had. I went to my guidance counselor and I said, I'm going into the ministry. What's the minimum amount of math I need to take to be able to graduate? And fortunately for me, trigonometry and calculus were not on the list. Um, I, I, when, when they start to explain or they want me to watch a, a video of somebody explaining trig and calc, um, I just, I don't get it. There's a barrier in my mind. I just don't understand what the, the language that those, those professors on the video are speaking. I, it's not something I, I can resonate with or click, but the main barrier is a cognitive one. It's, it's, it's in my head. <laughs> but when an unbeliever doesn't get the cross, so to speak, it's not first and foremost an intellectual impediment that keeps him from doing so. It's only through the Spirit that the unknowable can be made known. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that the truth of the cross can cross the uncrossable chasm to our hearts. The power of the Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of our minds cannot be understated. He says here that he's given this Holy Spirit uh, for a couple of reasons, and there are many more outside of this passage, but just within the immediate context here, verse 12, he says, we've received this, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now, as we go on in the book, we're going to talk about more of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, but this one is something amazing. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit in our life is to help us understand the gifts of God. You know, on, 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 uh, on Christmas Day, uh, maybe you think back to when you were a kid and you open up a gift and, you know, some things are really, really straightforward. You open it up and, hey, it's a package of underwear. That's a pretty easy to figure out gift. But you know what? It seems like there was always a gift that you open up and it, there was this like very clear sign, some assembly required. And what we, we know what that means. We know that the rest of dad's day is going to be occupied putting this thing together, which, once it's all said and done, will still be missing parts or screws or the dog ran away with something. 
and it's going to amount to like frustration and yeah. When it comes to the things of God, um, we couldn't figure out these gifts on our own. They're that amazing. There's so much depth. There's so much richness to the things that God has given to us that the Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to help us understand these gifts. Isn't that incredible? That God has given us, Ephesians 1.3 says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Unbelievable. Just pick one gift of God. What's the first one that comes to your mind? Adoption? Uh, a, a reconciliation? Um, eternal life? Uh, we could stand here all morning and quote scriptures that talk about the gifts of God. Well, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in your heart, if you're a child of God, is he helps you be able to grasp those gifts. That's a beautiful thing this morning. I, I hope that maybe even today you'll take some time to pray and just ask God to help you understand in a fresh way some aspect of your salvation that maybe you've never mined deeply. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does, according to this passage in verse 13, he says, uh, we impart... And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. One of the things that the Spirit does is He helps us be able to speak or to impart spiritual truths, to interpret spiritual realities and be able to share them with other people. The Spirit of God does that. He helps, gives us, gives us the words that we need to be able to speak to others. So many times... I think we get concerned or get fearful that we're not going to have the, the right words if we speak up, whether it's with unbelievers or maybe with another Christian. How can I make disciples? I'm, I'm just, you know, I don't know that much stuff. I don't have all kinds of knowledge about the Christian life. I can't get up and teach a 30-minute lesson on this. How, how can I make disciples? Well, one of the things that you can do is, number one, of course, study the Word of God, but then number two, rely upon the Spirit of God who's going to help you be able to say things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to say. You may not be able to get up in front of people and give a trigonometry lecture, but the Bible says that the Spirit of God wants you to be able to stand before people and explain spiritual realities, and He wants to help you do that. That's a great thing, that God's Spirit is powerful enough to help people like us that maybe fumble over our words or struggle to explain difficult concepts, he wants to put those words in our mouth so that they can be shared with other people. Do you believe that he can do that today? Do you believe that he wants to do that today? Look to him, trust him, that he would give you the words to say, that he will help you understand in the moment when you need it. It doesn't mean that you don't have to study the scriptures. You'd be like, whew, that's awesome. He's just going to zap me with the knowledge at the right time. He uses the understanding. He uses the things that you study so that you can be able to share that with others. The final contrast that I wanted to point out this morning is the contrast between the natural person and the spiritual person. Verse 14 is a very important, important verse for us to understand as Christians. The natural person does not accept things of the Spirit of God, for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. It almost feels like Paul is beating a dead horse at this point, doesn't it? It's like, Paul, you've said this now over and over. There's, 
There's a chasm. There's a contrast. There's a difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of man, between those who follow God and those who choose not to follow God. But Paul really wants to drum this idea into their hearts and minds. Paul is not here pointing out or referring to some Christians who happen to be in touch with the Spirit and have a corner on the truth. There are some who interpret the verse this way, but it's not what he's talking about. He's still contrasting believers and unbelievers. And those, um, uh, those who, are, who are spiritually um, uh, discerned, those who are able to, to understand them, uh, are those who, who have been given the Spirit of God. And then there are those who are not able to discern them, who are not able to figure these things out. And he said they simply do not have the Spirit of God. The mind of Christ is given to us, verse 16 says, so that we can be able to grasp deep spiritual realities. It's a little bit like maybe when you were a kid and opening up a box of Cracker Jacks. This is a poor illustration of something deeply spiritual, but, uh, and you, you got that de decoder ring, and you were able to figure out the message, but you couldn't without the decoder ring. You had to have the decoder ring to be able to understand what was being written or said. And, and that's in a, in a much more profound and important way. The Bible says the Spirit of God is like that. The Bible says that there are those who, yeah, who are the natural man, he calls them. The, the light bulbs are not on. It's not because they're stupid. It's not because they're uh, somehow mentally deficient and unable to reason through these things. The reason that you're here this morning and your unbelieving neighbor is not, is not here, it's not because you're smarter. I don't want to uh, burst in bubbles this morning, but it's not because we're just, we, we got it, we figured it out, because we're, we're just more intelligent than uh, unbelievers. No, the Bible says that, and in this passage is making clear, that the Spirit of God helped some, some light bulbs go on. And the natural man will not receive those things from God. Paul wanted these Corinthians who were bickering and arguing and fighting to understand that there was a a tremendously different, con a, 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 there, was, there was an unbelievable difference between the way of the world, the thinking of the world, the methods of the world, and the way that God has done things. We've been seeing that now since chapter 1. When he said the way of the cross, it's foolishness. It's this message, it's utterly foolish. And by the way, I usually use foolish people to take this foolish message into the world. And he's saying now that the, the, the way, the entire mindset of an unbeliever versus a believer, that it, it couldn't be further apart. Now this has a lot of implications for how we live today. As Christians, we need to remember that we are in a world that is, generally speaking, hostile towards God. So when we're getting our ideas doing our reading, doing our media consumption from the world, we need to remember that these are not neutral ideas. They're hostile ideas towards God. They may be couched in neutrality, couched in a, a passive language, but the reality is, is that they're, they're, these are completely two different viewpoints that we have. We need to be alert. We need to be watchful at the kinds of things that we're taking in. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to stand up here and say, you shouldn't watch movies and you should never associate with unbelievers. I don't think the Bible teaches that. 
But I do think the Bible wants us to constantly keep our minds on guard that when it comes to the world around us, we are, like Peter says, we're aliens here. We're strangers. We're foreigners. We should not expect the world as a whole to welcome us with open arms. It goes back to what Jesus said. There's a narrow path and a wide path. I talked to you about at times being offended by the scriptures, even though I've been a believer since I was a little child. Uh, this weekend, my wife and I were up in um, the Petoskey area, and we were looking at the colors, and we drove through, um, through Harbor Springs, and a beautiful little town there down by the water, and we were driving down Main Street, and I noticed, I looked out the window, and I saw an, an art store, uh, and, and several pieces of art in one display window, and then on the other side of the entry, there was another window, and it was... Um, they had a title at the bottom of it, and I didn't write it down, but it was like the, the salvation window. And it caught my eye, and I had pulled over because uh, I was going to go in and get a cinnamon roll at the bakery across the street. And so I got out, and I looked from across the street, and there was a big mural on the window that had a wide path, and there were all kinds of people walking down it. And uh, there was a narrow path, and you could see one or two people in the distance, but it was, it was, it was uh, clearly not the way that people were choosing and at the bottom of it, it, it had a message of repentance. And I immediately was like, man, that's kind of rude to just throw out there on the street. I mean, you've got people from all kinds of different walks of life. They're going to be walking by here, and you just want to cram that down their throat. And I immediately thought, that's, that's kind of offensive. I thought, wow, <laughs> that's the way of the cross. That's what Jesus proclaimed. Listen, he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He didn't say, like, maybe, or, you know, they might kind of not like you a little bit. No, he's like, they hated me, guys. They're going to hate my followers. But we live in a world right now that this, um, in, in our culture, in American culture, I think Christians in many other places of the world have seen this, e either their whole lives or maybe places in Europe, they've watched this transpire over the last 20, 30, 40 years as Europe has gone more secular. We're in a place right now where, where we're seeing it begin to transform before our eyes. We're living in a, in a country now that is becoming um, uh, less and less biblically literate. Uh, in fact, I, I read something this week. I don't know if it's true or not, um, but uh, I, I heard a quote that said, right now there are more Americans who could name the four houses in Harry Potter than there are they could name the four Gospels in the New Testament. <laughs> I don't know if there's any way of verifying that. But we're living in a culture that is becoming less and less biblically literate. And we're living in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to those who are truly following Jesus Christ, who have the audacity to stand up and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to him except through Jesus, that he is the door, and he is the only way to a relationship with God. My brothers and sisters, the wisdom of the world does not accept this. The natural man does not receive this truth. You and I will be considered closed-minded, arrogant, and bigoted to bring forth this message. So what do we do? We bring it forth in love. We don't say, well, fine, I know you're going to hate me for it anyways, and so I'm just going to throw it at you, and you can do what you want with it. Believe it or burn in hell, I don't care. That's a not Christ-like. That doesn't seem to be his mode of operation. He did it in love, but he didn't mince the truth. So 
So as believers, we need to daily come back to God and ask him for his wisdom to be poured out in us. God, how can I stand just with this rock-solid commitment to truth, this passionate devotion to being um, committed to the scriptures and to the the centrality of Jesus, the centrality of the cross. Jesus is the only way to God. How can I do that, but yet do that in love? How can I care for someone enough to be able to speak uncomfortable truths? This is where, by God's grace, he tells us in verse 16 that we have the mind of Christ. I don't fully understand that phrase, that statement, But somehow, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, he helps give us insight into what Jesus wants us to do as we live in this world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. We live in a world of contrasts. The Apostle Paul pointed us to several of these very stark contrasts between the world's way and God's way. May God grant us the grace to faithfully live as his children, as his followers in this world, no matter what kind of hostility we face, so that we can continue to hold forth the truth of God. And by God's grace, that he would open up the eyes of unbelievers so that they would receive the things of God. Let's stay faithful. Let's stay faithful. Father, Your word is true. Your word can be held up as completely trustworthy. It's not a a dusty, dry book that speaks to, maybe spoke to people in ages past, spoke to an ancient Greco-Roman culture. It's it's living and it's active and it's for us here today as we hold forth the word of life, God, in this culture that is increasingly hostile. God, help us, first of all, to not further alienate people by being jerks. Peter tells us to not suffer as evildoers. God, if we're going to suffer, may it be for the right thing not for for being unkind, not for being, um, not for lacking grace. But God, second of all, help us to um, know your word well enough that we have something to say. We'd be passionately devoted to studying the scriptures. And then finally, God, help us to boldly stand for Christ, winsomely, wisely, but boldly in this world. It's not always obvious and apparent how we're supposed to do that. And so, God, we need your wisdom. We need to know what to do when (laughs) the rules don't spell it out for us. We need to know how to share the gospel with that that hostile relative, that that co-worker that, uh, that might complain about us to the boss and affect our job security. 
God, we, know, we need to know how to speak to our children and our grandchildren who are facing and asking really, really difficult questions that we may not have all the answers to. Lord God, we need your wisdom to live out in a, in a, in a, in a loving way with those that disagree with us. God, we need your wisdom to even uh, live as Christians in this political climate that has, uh, has so alienated so many people. God, I pray that your spirit would give us insight to how, how we live um, in the midst of so much turbulence and so much turmoil. God, we thank you that we can rely on your word. We can rest on the truths of scripture. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit who has been given to us to help us understand the scriptures, to help us understand how to live in this difficult time. May we devote ourselves to prayer, asking your spirit to awaken our minds and give us an alertness and a boldness and a readiness to stand for Jesus Christ, no matter what might come our way. God, we pray that your word would encourage us and challenge us today as we go out this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you this week as you seek to live faithfully in this world. We're dismissed.